Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. These not the dulcet tones of Clay Travis. I'm Jason Martin. I served as his executive producer for the first year and a half or so of this show and still pop in from time to time. Always good to be back amongst OutKick folk. Danny G, Roberto, Eddie Garcia, Dub, completing all of our crew here today. Clay Travis is out on the West Coast. He's in Los Angeles. He's doing Lock It In live out there on the Fox lot. He's doing all sorts of other TV appearances. So he's popping in and out of this show. We've got a ton of moving parts coming up. Uh, in the next segment, he will be back in the studio off the TV lot, and he will sit down and he'll talk to Petros Papadakis, who we catch up with every Tuesday in Hour 3. Last night's Monday Night Football game was not particularly interesting going in. The Giants won it. Eli's 36th comeback victory, fourth quarter comeback victory. They beat the 49ers. Okay, Odell Beckham played very well. You saw some flashes from Saquon. I still don't think Eli's got much left, but he did play better last night. Wasn't pressured much by the 49ers. That's basically all that needs to be said about Monday Night Football. It was a dog game with absolutely no stipulations unless you're looking at draft position, at which point my tweet after the game, which said, look, the Giants can't even lose right. They are complete failures because their goal has to be to be in position to draft a quarterback, one would think. So we kind of got that out of the way in the first segment as Clay was on his phone on the way to the television lot. And then we did what we have done on Tuesdays since the outset of this program, which is go through our top five and our bottom five teams in the NFL, the outhouse and the penthouse. And so if you missed that from the first hour, we, of course, tell you 
Go subscribe to the Outkick the Coverage podcast, however you get your podcasts, and join the millions that have already done so. But we're going to go ahead and replay that top five, bottom five from hour one. I will tee off and strike one straight down the center of the fairway, uh, fair and true. And the best team in the NFL right now, I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees right now has got the highest quarterback rating in the history of the NFL. He is on pace to set an all-time record. He's completing 77% of his passes, which doesn't even feel like it's a real statistic. Uh, The Saints are almost unbeatable at home, I believe, notwithstanding the fact that their only loss was to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 1. Since then, the Saints have run off eight straight wins. They just hung 50 on the road against the Bengals. They're coming off two weeks ago the win over the Rams, which is the other best team in the NFC. So I've got the Saints as the uh, unquestioned number one best team in the NFL right now. I bet on them future odds on Lock It In uh, yesterday on the television show that I do on FS1 that airs at uh, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central, 2.30 Mountain, 1.30 uh, Pacific. Right. In the two spot, not that I uh, want Goodness to make gracious. sure. Yeah, just to make sure that everybody <laughs> out there uh, knows exactly what time zone they should be watching. Uh, in the two spot, I've got uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. If I were projecting the Super Bowl right now, I think we would have one of the best Super Bowls we have ever had in terms of scoring and excitement. I think Saints and Chiefs would be my pick. Uh, we would be sitting down and enjoying that game in Atlanta. Uh, it would be a phenomenal, uh, I would imagine, crowd of Saints fans driving up from Atlanta and uh, driving up from sorry New Orleans to Atlanta and also a n- huge number of Chiefs fans coming over. It's a relatively uh, drivable Super Bowl. would be a phenomenal uh, game to end up with there. So I've got Saints-Chiefs at 1-2. In the three spot, I've got the Rams. Here's what I'm a little bit nervous about with the Rams. Their defense. Uh, their defense was not very good, obviously, against the Saints, but that's maybe to be expected because the Saints are one of the top offenses, not just this year in the NFL, but all time in the NFL. But to then be bad like they were against the Seahawks makes me very nervous, give up 270 rushing yards. The defense has me apprehensive and a bit uh, filled with trepidation when it comes to projecting going forward on the Rams. In the four spot, I have got the Chargers. Um, I, I said a while ago on this show that when the Chargers were sitting at 3-2, and two, I said I thought they were going to win their next six and be sitting at 9-2. and two. Phillip Rivers continues to be a maestro. I've got the Chargers sliding in at number four, meaning that two of the top four teams in the NFL right now both reside in the city of Los Angeles, and then I'm dropping them. I don't understand how you could not drop them, uh, given what we saw the Tennessee Titans do to the New England Patriots. I am dropping the Patriots to the number five overall slot right now in the NFL. How would you react to my top five, Jason Martin? Well, I liked your top three. I've got Saints, Chiefs, Rams in that order. The Rams also losing Cooper Cup for the season with a torn ACL, which was revealed earlier on Monday. That hurts them a lot. Their defense bothers me. The Chiefs' defense bothers me. The Saints' defense bothers me, but not quite as much. I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers at four. After what they did to the Carolina Panthers, the fact that their defense has been top 10 DVOA over the last five weeks, they're starting to put it together. I don't care whether Le'Veon Bell comes back or not. We'll know by the end of Tuesday whether or not he's going to play. I don't think that he will, but James Conner's been fine. Antonio Brown's been great. Juju Smith-Schuster has been fantastic, and Big Ben's on fire. So I've got them at four, and I've got the Chargers at five. They have two losses this season, the Rams and the Chiefs. Those are not two bad losses. 
they weren't blowouts either. This is a good football team that's going to get Joey Bosa back, and I like their defense maybe better than any of the other teams in the top five. The Patriots dropped completely out for me based on what they did yesterday, even though they're still the Patriots, and I'm sure that they will be heard from. Bottom five. Uh, that's not a bad argument. I've just seen the, the, the Steelers put forth uh, several bad performances already this year. You're right that they seem to be getting hot at the right point in time. Uh, but uh, but I don't think that's a bad list. I mean, I dropped the Patriots down substantially in my list as well. Uh, I kept them in the top five, but I think there's certainly an argument out there that I should have dropped them out and brought up the Steelers. Uh, all right, let's dive into the bottom five. And uh, this is, we had the list of greatness, the list of uh, positivity. Now we have the list of sadness, what I would call the uh, the bottom five teams in the NFL. In the 28th spot, I've got the Jets, and this might be too high for the Jets. When you get blown out by the Bills, you definitely have to question a lot of the decision-making that's going on uh, with your franchise. The Jets in the 28th spot get blown out by the Bills. That might be too high for them. At 29, I've got the Arizona Cardinals. (laughs) This is actually about a month ago or whatever it was, a couple weeks ago, when I was in London, we did top five, bottom five with you, J-Mart. I just forgot about the Cardinals, (laughs) which was even better than actually ranking them as one of the bottom five teams. I just totally forgot to include them, which is maybe the biggest indictment of all. I wasn't even saying they were bad. I was so... uh, over the Cardinals' analysis that I wasn't even willing to uh, to give them any credence as a legitimate team at all. Uh, in the 30 spot, they won last night in Monday Night Football, but I still think they're not very good. Uh, the New York Giants at 31, I've got the San Francisco 49ers. They managed to beat the team that is in the last spot on Thursday, and then they lost on this past Monday to the Giants. Uh, I've got the Raiders at 32. The Bay Area never probably has been worse in the history of professional football than they are right now with the 49ers and the Raiders both as my two worst teams in the NFL. So again, to recap, bottom five, Jets, Cardinals, Giants, 49ers, Raiders. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. But I got so many questions about this Zach Smith shenanigans, this Zach Smith story that I felt like we had to certainly address it on the show at some point. And if you're not aware, let me kind of give you the background here. Zach Smith is the former wide receivers coach on the Ohio State Buckeyes staff who uh, was involved in all sorts of allegations of domestic violence and almost cost Urban Meyer his job. Got Urban Meyer suspended for three games. Uh, Basically, the entire month of August was a big debate about what Urban Meyer knew and when he knew it and what what it's appropriate for a head coach to know about his coaching staff and everything else. So on Sunday, Zach Smith decided to go on Twitter, and let's just be clear here. he Zach Smith, who I'm kind of torn on whether or not we should have him on the show, honestly, because on some level, I feel like he deserves to be able to come on and tell his side of the story. And we certainly have spent a lot of time talking about Zach Smith, and I think he deserves to tell his side of the story. But he has decided that he is going to go to war effectively with everybody else out there in the universe of coaching that he believes has in some way wronged him. And on Sunday, he started sending out all sorts of tweets that were really uh, aggressively 
blame shifting, for lack of a better term. He went after Tom Herman. And I'm going to read some of these quotes. We don't know what is 100% honest or what's not. But I feel like on some level, you have to address it. It's the elephant in the room. So many of you are on social media saying, hey, why are you not talking about this? So Tom, uh, Tom Herman, the head coach at Texas, effectively was accused of cheating on his wife by Zach Smith, who went all over social media attacking him. And I'm going to read one of those tweets. Uh, Hey, Brett McMurphy. We had Brett McMurphy many times on this show talking about his reporting of the Ohio State uh, mess surrounding Zach Smith. Report this. I witnessed Tom Herman cheat on his wife. He then tagged his wife several times, once in an Asian massage, massage parlor, and just texted him that I'm done protecting him. We going to be honest now. Uh, L-M-A-O. Uh, he also says, I was crucified and ruined on social media for no reason. However, I know several high-profile coaches that should have been. Know what I mean, Tom Herman. Remember the several times you cheated on your wife and she told my ex about it because I do. L-M-A-O. I... This stuff is is tough, I think, in general to figure out how exactly you should respond to it. Because, first of all, Tom Herman's private life, so far as I know, has not been called into question. He has not been accused of mistreating his wife, domestic violence, anything like that. And I feel like Zach Smith is just angry at the world. And he's angry at the way, probably, that his coaching uh, job worked out. He's angry at the fact that other people who he may consider to be not that much better of coaches than him have ended up in positions of prominence, making substantial amounts of money. And so my general position on this is that, by and large, I kind of try to follow the mafia rule when it comes to public figures. And what I mean by that is I try and leave wife, wives and children out of stories unless wives or children interject themselves in a way that makes them stories. And by children, I mean adult children, right? I don't mean young children. If somebody comes after me on Twitter and tags me in a tweet as, for instance, Urban Meyer's wife has done before, then sometimes I'll respond to that. But by and large, I try to avoid attacks like that. And I don't think there's a good answer here. And you're hearing me work through my uh, rationale on this in general live on the radio right now because I've spent a lot of time sitting around looking at this story, grappling with it. To what extent do you write about it? To what extent do you talk about it? What is the line for what is appropriate stories to cover in a social media context when so many of you are reacting to a story like this? And, And candidly, I don't know that there is an easy answer. But the line that I have tried to follow in general, and I think it's a, it's a tough line sometimes to follow when everybody wants to be in the public arena, is to only talk about the people who are definite public figures. So I feel like Zach Smith is using this opportunity to go after Tom Herman because he's angry at the world. And I don't know that Tom Herman's private relationships in any way should be public. And I think certainly Zach Smith is is violating basic tenets of decency and friendship, right? I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that if you tag somebody's wife and then also tag that person on social media and publicly accuse them of things that are not ideal behavior in a marriage, that you have stepped into a messy and indefensible position yourself. 
And I also don't think that they matter, right? And, and maybe this is just my standard in general. I, I try to apply the same standards to all public figures. And when I was in college, uh, the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal happened. And I said, you know what? I don't care about the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. And I was a young kid there, 18, 19 years old. I care whether Bill Clinton's doing a good job as president. I feel the same way. I'm one of the few people, it feels like, who has the same standard when it comes to Donald Trump and whatever shenanigans he might have gotten into outside of his marriage and otherwise. And maybe that's because historically I look back at JFK and uh, and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and LBJ and FDR and all of these other historical figures who were not exactly fantastic husbands necessarily, were not necessarily faithful individuals, but were obviously very good at what they did in terms of being great leaders in this country. And so if I have that standard for the president of the United States, my standard for behavior of college football coaches is lower, right? I mean, I don't think that what Tom Herman does in his private life, so long as it's not criminal in nature, should really impact anything in any way surrounding his uh, surrounding his job at Texas. Now, I also understand on some level, and this is why I'm grappling with it, if Zach Smith 100% knew that the reason why all of the dirty laundry from his public life went out into the public because Tom Herman was trying to get Urban Meyer fired and was trying to advocate for all these things to happen, which, by the way, Brett McMurphy has denied, I can trace his motivation a little bit more, but I still feel like it just feels so dirty. I don't like the idea of the politics of personal destruction, and I don't like the idea that you go out and you attack Tom Herman for things that might or might not have happened in his private life in a way to try to delegitimize his ability to be the University of Texas head coach. And I certainly don't like the idea in general of dragging a wife and kids into it like Tom Herman has done, or, sorry, like Zach Smith has done, or posting private text messages like he did when he sends all these text messages to Tom Herman. Tom Herman's response is, okay, cool, hook him, exclamation point, with a hook him horn sign. <laughs> which is actually a pretty funny response in general. I I just, I don't know. I mean, you guys can reach out to me on Twitter, talk about what is the appropriate standard. Some of you may say, hey, you shouldn't even have talked about this story. But I feel like when stories reach such a cogency that everyone is kind of discussing them, that we have an obligation to talk about it on the show. I just, I try to be honest with you guys and set out what I think the standard for what stories should be is. And it's not like I'm perfect in trying to decide this on a day-to-day basis on OutKick. But I don't like the idea that we can set the precedent of somebody goes on social media who is in a famous position in the world of sports and just starts attacking somebody else for personal and private things that may or may not be true. right? Because if they're true, then it's still an unconscionably messy situation for a husband and a wife and kids who may have tried to work through that privately and you just blasted it out publicly. And if it's not true, how do you unring the bell? I think about this a lot in this day and age of public accusations where everyone is presumed guilty the moment an accusation is made. What if you're 100% innocent? What if you have done nothing that you've been accused of in the public eye? How do you ever come back and fix that situation? I don't know. 
All I know is this Zach Smith, Tom Herman situation is ugly. Maybe you think that I shouldn't have even addressed it, but so many of you are asking me what I think about it, and I talked about it yesterday on my Periscope and my Facebook show that I thought I needed to talk about it on this show as well and kind of give you my impressions. I'm curious in your answers what is and what is not the line for appropriate stories. Again, I don't claim to know exactly, but I do know that this this story in particular seems like it's a uh, like it's a mess. And it's probably one that we're going to see happen more and more often because I think in many ways social media leads to great negativity in our lives in general. And especially when it's embraced by somebody who's already bitter and angry and filled with regret and recriminations and wants to blame someone else for many of the life decisions they've made. I don't begin to argue with you that Zach Smith hasn't seen his career end, his life blown up, his marriage, his kids are going to hear about this for the rest of their lives. It's a cautionary tale about what can go wrong when everything goes public in your private life. But I don't think the way to solve that for Zach Smith is by trying to publicize other bad deeds and issues that others have in their lives. I understand why it would be appealing to him, but I don't think ultimately it's the right decision to go down. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet from strict respect to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny, what you got? Jason, as Clay puts his headphones on to get ready to broadcast from the L.A. studios, this is going to make his skin crawl. His biggest fear? Snakes. A Malaysian, a Malaysian courier service is reminding customers not to mail live animals after a python was found in a package addressed to a student at their university there. They say workers at one of their facilities found the live snake inside a package addressed to a student during the weekend. The courier service says the package originated from a local address and was labeled football boots. But when they... <laughs> but, uh, they were suspicious when the package was moving. So they open it up, and uh, a huge python was inside the football boots, in quotations. Uh, Maybe that was the name. Of course, mailing live animals is illegal, as it is in most parts of the world. It could result in charges for the person who sent it. What happens, Danny, if somebody sends... Look, if somebody sends me a python through the mail, <laughs> I- I'm trying to think how to say this delicately. I don't know that there's a way. I would almost rather receive explosives than a snake in the mail, quite frankly. But what would you do if if you opened the package and there was a giant python inside? Would wonder who hated me so much that they wanted me to get bitten by a python as I opened the package. I mean, yeah. you'd have to have a serious enemy to receive that in the mail. Yeah, is there any... Like follow up to the story as to the reasoning or the person behind it or anything like that, or do we just know that there was a python in a package that was stopped before it made it to its destination? Yeah, this story is from yesterday, actually, so no follow up as of yet. But as the Thunderdome continues through the week, we will let you know if there's uh, yeah. anything else on that. All right, and we'll move over to Australia. An Australian mom, a soccer mom, captured video of a moment 
when a mob of kangaroos interrupted her son's soccer game. Alyssa Simpson, 38, said she was at her nine-year-old son's soccer game Thursday, last Thursday in New South Wales, when the eight kangaroos hopped across the field. The video shows players and referees scattering across the soccer field, running for their lives as this pack of kangaroos invade the game. She says, I told my son, that's who you're playing against today, Simpson joked. But it was a scary moment as it looked like some kids were going to be hopped on top of. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just I, just the way that was phrased, it just kind of dropped me. I had somewhere I wanted to go, and then you said kids being hopped on top of. And I started thinking about it. Where do kangaroos fall on the animals that are jerks list? Like geese, yeah, ostrich, like these are near the top of the list. They're up there. They're, They're in the top five. Without question, right? Like yeah. every video you see of a kangaroo, except for, well, I guess it's the same difference. The guy that squared off on one and punched <laughs> it in the face, which is still one of the great viral videos of all time. Kangaroos are some ornery folk, and I bet you they would have had no problem destroying those kids at that soccer game. Yeah. I would uh, think. We should do a top five, bottom five of we jerk should. animals. That's a good one. Seriously. Jerk jerk animals. <laughs> and tweet me at jmardzone. Cle- uh, tweet at Clay Travis. Tweet at Danny G Radio. Who, what are the jerk animals out there? Swans is also on that list. I've never encountered them, but if you ever read about swans, swans are straight up jerks. And I'm not talking about Natalie Portman. Swans are a gigantic problem in this world, but that's amazing. Kangaroos interrupting a soccer game. I'd probably just let them play through. I've seen videos where they've thrown balls before. I think I would just go ahead and allow that to happen. By the way, I got got a great monkey story. I will tease ahead. I'll keep that for later in the week here. Oh, that's fantastic. Monkey stories. Fantastic. Monkeys. No thumbs. That's what always... Oh, no, they do have thumbs. That's what frightens everybody. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We bring in now the man, the myth, the legend, Petros Papadakis. He joins us every single Tuesday in Hour 3. And we always start off asking him important questions about the L.A. sports meter. All right, you continue to have a rolling L.A. Rams team. You continue to have a rolling L.A. Charger team. Does anyone in L.A. care yet? More people are talking about the situation with the USC coach, at least with me. But I will say this, Clay, on my way to work on Sunday night uh, up to the uh, Universal City area, I went right by the Coliseum after the Ram game, and there was traffic, like there was a football game there. And there were a bunch of people in, like, Todd Gurley jerseys and Jared Goff jerseys waiting at the train station. And I thought in my mind at that moment that I'm going to tell Clay that because that is a good L.A. sports meter tidbit that only I have to give to Clay. So I saw that there were fans at that game. They're certainly a team that's worthy of being followed. McVay's doing a great job. They are giving up some more points. Uh, in the last few weeks. It's amazing how quickly the NFL can catch up to anybody being dominant. But that being said, they're finding ways to win games and a bit of a home field advantage yesterday. And I'll tell you what, the Chargers on the field 
are almost just as impressive at this point. Melvin Gordon has become a real ass-kicker of a back. He's attacking people. He's all legs and elbows right now. And Philip Rivers has found a fountain of youth. And Joey Bosa is going to come back eventually uh, with a defense that's already playing really well. So all right, let, both, teams let's, are, both teams are worthy of being talked about, my friend. Let's dive out of the NFL here for a moment and go to what you said a lot of people are talking about, USC. I mean, you've got what used to be a monumental, massive game nationwide between USC and UCLA. Both of the teams are having a really bad season. Cal got a win over USC to drop USC to, I believe, 5-5. Five and five. The final two games of the season now, they're only a two-and-a-half-point favorite over UCLA. UCLA has gotten a little bit better as the season has gone along. I think it's fair to say under Chip Kelly. Uh, and then USC is going to finish with Notre Dame. So let me ask you this. If Clay Helton loses both of these games, what happens? And also, if Clay Helton splits, what happens? Well, I, I don't really know how to keep answering this question, not just from you, Clay, but everybody I run into on and off the air, because when things go bad at USC, as you know, I am everybody's go-to guy. I saw two coaches fired there, and I am a miserable person, as you know. So it's very interesting this time because the situation, and I think I've explained this to you on a couple occasions, the situation is not simply, hey, our coach is really, really weak right now. The team is very undisciplined. We're losing games. The stadium is half full. We need to make a change. Who can we hire that demands more of a presence and will be a better better coach for our football program and really billion-dollar franchise, which is what USC football is? It's not that. They have macro-level university problems. They're paying out hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuit settlements for a terrible thing that happened on campus and was allowed to happen for decades. They are absolutely tied up. They don't have a president. So even if they did fire Clay Helton, which I assure you they don't want to do, who would want the job not knowing who your boss is going to be? Is Lynn Swan a figurehead? Who's still hanging on to power in the USC athletic department? Who's going to be the new president of the university? What direction will he take it in? No one, no, I mean, Matt Campbell, uh, Kyle Whittingham, Jack Del Rio might take the job because he's an alum, but I I just don't know who you hire that doesn't know what's going to happen when when they take the job. It is an intriguing question. I always say when you make the decision to fire a coach, fans always want to look to the ceiling. They want to say, oh, we're going to get insane coach here who's going to make everything better immediately. And I always say the most challenging thing about it is got to think about what your ceiling is, but you also have to think about what your floor is. And based on what you're saying, it doesn't even sound like the ceiling for USC is that good, right? I mean, there's nobody out there right now that you say, okay, snap the fingers, hire that guy, he's going to be great. And let's be honest, even when they hired Pete Carroll or when they hired Lane Kiffin, there weren't a bevy of candidates out there that were begging for this job that are incredibly high-end, guaranteed, bona fide successes, right? I mean, I think that's the story, too, well, is you're not just talking about well, right now, you're talking about the years ahead and past. We talk about this stuff all the time, Clay, but the crossroads really came when they had Chris Peterson in their hands 
and instead they opted to hire Steve Sarkeesian. You know, that was one of the right. most terrible moves by anybody ever. I mean, this really started with Pat Hayden because he doubled down on Lane Kiffin. He alienated Ed Ogeron. He hired Steve Sarkeesian over Chris Peterson. And then as he was a lame duck after being exposed as uh, fleecing money from a charity that he was the CEO of for his family by the L.A. Times, he had no power and ended up just hiring Clay Helton and sprinting out of uh, Heritage Hall after the press conference. So it, he really started this 10-year drain on USC football, and it is not healing anytime soon. Now, that being said, Clay, you know this. Some billionaire, and there are many around USC's football program that deem themselves relevant, can start pounding a table with a shoe like Nikita Khrushchev and say, <laughs> I will pay for whatever. And that happens. You know, that's, that's how Kiffin got fired in the first place. Pat Hayden wanted to protect Lane Kiffin, but a, 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 a giant donor freaked out and said, no way. And they, that's, how he, that's how you end up firing a guy on a tarmac when a donor loses his mind. You know, Rick Neuheisel, after UCLA lost 50 to nothing to USC, they just pulled the trigger because somebody said, I will foot this bill, end this now. So somebody might do that because the product on the field is that disgusting to a lot of these clubs. I don't know what kind of shape the program is in to hire anybody of note or how much money they have because they whisper all the time about budget cuts in the athletic department. So it's a mess. All right, so let's also consider this in the context of UCLA having Chip Kelly. How much more pressure, even though he's only 2-8 and eight this season, how much more pressure do you think Chip Kelly at UCLA puts on Clay Helton at USC? I think it's a great deal, but they're not really recruiting the same players. Some, In some cases they are, but Chip Kelly is, is going to recruit players for his system, and that's not always going to make sense in the moment. And I, I got to be honest with you, Clay, I think UCLA's arrow is pointing way up. Uh, they're still having some trouble lining up, but they are competing in games like you would never imagine they could earlier in the season. And I think they found a high school quarterback that they're going to bring in from Texas that Chip's fallen in love with. that will be their starter next year. And they found some stability with Wilton Spate, at quarterback, he seems to have deactivated a great deal of guys for one reason or another. And Chip Kelly knows how to coach. And stuff that didn't make sense earlier in the season with this team is making sense now. So I, I, have, I have all the faith in the world in, in what he's doing. And the situation at UCLA is almost the exact opposite, even though USC has a better record. The, the situation at UCLA is almost the exact opposite there. They're stable and, and their arrows pointing up, and they have a coach that's very secure in the job for years to come who's going to be able to recruit and do what he wants and has power within the athletic department to run his system and hire his people. He's been empowered by, by a very powerful alum named Casey Wasserman, and that's the situation there. It's totally opposite from USC. We're talking to Petros Papadakis, USC-UCLA big rivalry game this weekend, which usually is one of the best games of the weekend before Thanksgiving. Where are you going this weekend to call uh, a game? I am in beautiful Waco, Texas, to see the Baylor Bears host the TCU Horned Frogs, two Big 12 teams coming off a loss. (laughs) 
We're talking to Petros Papadakis. You will, uh, many of you in the L.A. area for sure, be listening to him in the afternoon. You're starting your Tuesday morning off with him here. You'll finish your day uh, with him as well in AM 570 Sports in L.A. All right, a um, couple more questions for you uh, in the college football uh, firmament here. If, and this is, everybody loves to talk about hypothetical problems, and I know you enjoy this too because you've been on some of these uh, panels where we've done on Fox where we sit around and debate who the college football playoff teams were or are going to be with our committees and everything else that we've had a lot of fun doing that over the years. And this is something that I think fans in general love to debate as well. So I got a, a hypothetical for you here. What I think the most difficult hypothetical that could arise is if Alabama is 12 and 0. And they lose to 11-1 Georgia in the SEC title game. And then Notre Dame goes on and wins out to get to 12-0. Clemson goes on to win out to get to 13-0. So you feel like Clemson and Notre Dame have grabbed two of those spots. I feel like it would be hard to not put Georgia in the playoff if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title game. But Michigan also looks pretty good to potentially go 12-1. So Petros Papadakis, if Michigan goes 12-1, and wins the Big Ten, beats Northwestern, Alabama goes 12-1 and but loses a really close game to Georgia, what do you do in that dynamic? Who gets into the playoff? Well, are you asking me what I think should happen or what I, what I think the committee will do? Yeah, maybe both. What would you think would happen, should happen, and what do you think will happen? Well, I think the committee has proven over the years that they're not going to ding the SEC for having the one less conference game and the cupcake in November. And to be fair to the SEC, they dominate and win these football games when they're head-to-head with a lot of these teams. So the committee is, is not never, ever demoted anybody for the, the scheduling differential between the SEC and these other conferences and the ACC. So I think they'd put Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, and uh, Clemson. And, uh, Clemson, yeah. And that would be your playoffs. And, and that's that. I, I, I would love to see a Michigan team in there just off bias because I saw Michigan play this year and was really, 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 really impressed in particular with their defense and their defensive coordinator and just the whole team dynamic in general. And I I thought that they could be a very special team. So I guess it's a little bit of confirmation bias for me from way back in in September. But uh, I I don't think there's any doubt that the committee will put in the two SEC teams, uh, an undefeated Clemson and an undefeated Notre Dame. An undefeated Notre Dame is always going to spoil some conferences' life. And I think an eight-man playoff would still give plenty of 18 playoffs. You couldn't do it with eight guys. But uh, I think that an 18 playoff would would still be plenty compelling and there would still be a lot of arguments to be had on, on Sports Talk Radio. They'd still get all the controversial conversation that they enjoy. You know, they like that about the BCS and – Frankly, I liked it too, whatever keeps people talking about college football. But I think you'll have mostly Southern teams uh, and uh, and Notre Dame. We're talking to Petros Papadakis. All right, uh, last question for you, and this may drive you insane. 
how LA of it would it be of me, and I'm doing the show out here in your hometown, to go see LeBron and the Lakers play on Wednesday night? I think it would be right up your alley, pretty much just standard central casting Clay Travis. <laughs> Do you need tickets? Uh, maybe so. Yeah, if you got a con- if you got a good connection, uh, who could get me some decent seats? I don't I have it all call yet. My boy, my boy Barry, Barry from Barry's Tickets. Yeah, so look, you don't I haven't know anything about LA. Uh, no, I haven't ever been to Staples Center before. I haven't been to see the Lakers play there. I have been to Dodger Stadium now for a trip out here. Uh, and uh, But I think it would be cool. I mean, I'm kind of curious to go see LeBron play uh, in person. So uh, I was curious what you would think about that being uh, – is, is that way too L.A. of me? Well, here's here's me, and we are very opposite, like the SC and UCLA football programs right now. But when LeBron was first in the league, and don't get me wrong, I mean, he is absolutely spectacular. Uh, when he was first in the league, I used my Clipper credential to go watch him in a much more peaceful, calm media section when he was playing for the Cavs the first time around. I just oh, yeah. to watch him explode to the basket and stuff like that. So I understand the allure of going to watch uh, one of the best athletes in the world play. And after all, you are a radio host and and a tv host and also maybe you should do it all right so here's the other question about that is lebron still in your mind more of a talking point than either usc ucla or the rams and the chargers right now in la yeah i mean if they're losing especially they're they're three and oh i think since they added tyson chandler and he's been playing incredibly well but I mean, LeBron James being here is a media play for him, for the Lakers, for everybody. I I don't think they're going to beat the Golden State Warriors anytime soon. And as high of a level as LeBron can play at, I don't know if he can carry a team on his back as he ages year in and year out. So why is he here? He's the best athlete in the world. He's here because he's also a bit of a conglomerate and certainly sees himself as that. I don't think there's anything wrong with LeBron James kind of using the Lakers and the Lakers using LeBron James. My radio partner and I were talking about that uh, a lot last week. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, I think that's what people – it's a little bit of a contrived media story, and I think it's more of a nationally slanted media story. But it's certainly dominant here in L.A., unless, you know, USC looks that bad, then for three or four days or whatever, everybody's going to talk about the USC coach and reset. I know uh, I said last question, but I actually want your opinion on this, too. I was talking about this earlier on the show. I'm assuming you saw Zach Smith, the former wide receiver at Ohio State's tweets about Tom Herman and his family. How do you decide whether or not to cover a story? Like, in your mind, I was grappling with this an hour or two of the show earlier. I'm sitting around, like, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I haven't written about it. But what should the standard be for people like us when it comes to what we decide to talk about? And how, and, and, and I don't know that there's an easy answer or certainly even a right answer, but, wh- like, did you talk about this at all? I mean, it's a little bit different maybe in L.A. because where college football is not as central, but this is a crazy allegation and story and I also, at the same time, just feel a little queasy talking about it. Yeah, I haven't really addressed it. I am looking forward to spending Thanksgiving with Tom Herman in Lawrence, Kansas, for a uh, Big 12 game. 
uh, on Thanksgiving weekend that Kansas hosting the Texas. That'll Boston. be a hell of a family event. Yes, it will. Uh, and uh, I gotta say, I, uh, I mean, when it comes to covering stuff like that, or whether or not to cover stuff like that, it it really is for us because I don't really consider myself a journalist. I'm a talk show host. Yeah, uh, it's 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 up to you. And uh, if your boss really wants you covered, your boss makes you cover it, and then it's up to him. So uh, it really is a judgment call. You know, sometimes there's stuff that you would want to address and you're not allowed to address. And sometimes, I mean, that's just the reality of our work. You know, we all work at companies. Uh, Sometimes there's things that you don't want to address that you're kind of made to address. And sometimes there's things you want to address and you don't have time to get to address them. And uh, people can make their own judgment as to why you didn't address it. And that's not even true. It's just that you didn't have time to get to it uh, because something else is going on. So uh, it's kind of a nuanced answer, to be honest. I hate to give it to you, but that line to me is kind of always drawn in the sand. And if you consider a guy credible and you think he still deserves the, the oxygen on the air to talk about what he's saying, you know, kind of like LeVar Ball at a certain point. It's like, well, how long are we going to pay attention to what this guy's saying? Obviously, you know, he's not super stable and he's lashing out, it seems. You know, I'm not very close to the situation at all. But, uh, yeah, to me it's just a judgment call unless somebody tells you otherwise that you work for yeah, no, and I know I said last question, but this is my third last question. Who wins, US, <laughs> I love it. US, USC or UCLA, quickly? I think UCLA is going to get them. I, you, you know, you're lucky it's early in the morning because <laughs> I don't usually give my prediction on this till the very end of the week, but maybe the people won't notice. But uh, I just think UCLA, I know when USC uh, goes bad and there's coaching rumors and there's infighting and there's, uh, uh, just a lot of negativity. I know how bad it can be. I've seen it happen twice uh, in my own life when I was a player, and it's an absolute storm of, 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 of bad things, let's just say. So when that happens at USC and you have a bunch of five-star recruits, it's not a good situation. Everybody kind of points their finger and, and starts blaming each other. It's sort of like when a boy band breaks up. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. And, and UCLA is competitive. They don't, they're not going to go to a bowl game, which is a shame because I think Chip could use the practices. But UCLA, UCLA is still competing hard in football games and getting after people's asses and scoring a lot of points. So I think UCLA's got a lot more to play for here. Uh, USC just seems to be crumbling from the inside out, just like it did for the last two coaches. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. L.A. Broad. I got, I got, I got, I got. From the first show in the country to predict hashtag future Laker. Instead of three hours of it, Clay Travis captures all the mania in three minutes. LeBron has picked up the circus tent and it has followed him wherever he has gone. All right, Danny, L.A. Braun. All right, Sunday night at Staples Center. LeBron missed a couple more clutch free throws. So the Lakers, they held on to a one-point lead. 
The Hawks rookie sensation Trey Young had a chance to win with a layup at the buzzer. Then this happened. With five, with four, the Lakers lead by one. Trey Young's going to do it. Here he goes. LeBron's first in-season GM move, signing Tyson Chandler off waivers, has already paid off. Of course, some Laker fans like our very own Roberto wish that hashtag future Laker would have been Jimmy Butler. Uh, But uh, Tyson Chandler will do right now. This is the first time the Lakers have been over 500 since 2016. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So Seven and six. There was some, um, you know, jerks on Twitter saying, why were the Lakers celebrating like that after beating the Hawks? Because the Lakers haven't been over 500 since 2016. That's why. So let them celebrate right now. Damn it. I guess. Did you celebrate? No, it brought a smile to my face to see, you know. You beat the Hawks, man. We've talked I about futility and bad franchises in all the sports. You beat the Hawks. I understand. That's like, but I'm that's happy like rushing for... the field after beating Kansas in college football. Yeah, you're an Alabama fan, so what are you talking about? Are you going to smile when they beat Citadel? No, but I also <laughs> wouldn't rush the field. <laughs> They're not going to rush the field. Right now? Look, they were happy for Tyson Chandler. He was on the scrap heap. He's back home in Los Angeles. So I'm, I was more happy for Tyson Chandler than smiling about beating a bad Hawks team. Although Trey Young looks like he's going to be something special. Lakers should have traded for Jimmy Butler. Yeah, see, Roberto and some other Laker fans are like, why didn't we trade for Jimmy Butler? You know, they, they gave uh, the Wolves garbage to get him. So I Did guess, they give him garbage to uh, get him? Robert Robert Covington's Robert a really Covington? good defender. Covington's, yeah, he's a, he's a good defender. Both are role players. Listen to what you just said out loud, though. They got Jimmy know, Butler yeah, for a good defender. Hey, look, I'm the guy on this show that, that argued that Jimmy Butler was a better player in the NBA than Paul George, and I think I've been proven correct, yeah, you're correct over the last year, year and a half for there. I think Jimmy Butler's still a top 20 player in this league, so let's talk about him a little bit. He's now a 76er. Him and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and <clears throat> Markel Fultz, who, if you did not see it, I tweeted it out from my account at Zone last night, along with many other people. Markel Fultz has the yips. Like, I'm talking yips like Rene Russo, Roy McAvoy, 10 cup kind of yips. Did you see all the videos of my man shooting during the offseason? Everything was fixed. Gets back out onto the floor, and he looks like Charles Barkley trying to golf. Like, I, I feel so bad for him. And can you imagine if Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Wiggins could not, or Andrew Wiggins could not handle Jimmy Butler's brand of tough love? How is Markel Fultz going to handle it considering the way his NBA career has started? I don't feel good about Markel Fultz's situation in Philadelphia at all. I really feel like the Wolves should have got Fultz in the trade. That would have been perfect. That that would have been absolutely perfect. Also, the trash talking that's going to emanate from the mouths of Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler to the rest of the league, that's going to be something to see. Does this make them the second best team in the East? I think Toronto with Kawhi Leonard and the way Kyle Lowry is playing and not having DeMar DeRozan, it's it's very rare that you trade an all-star and upgrade to a better all-star. And that's what the Toronto Raptors have found a way to do do you think that this makes Philly a better team no, than Boston, or do no. you still like Boston or Milwaukee I still, over I still, them? I still like Boston, and Milwaukee is making a strong case that they're third best in the East at the moment. So that puts the Sixers fourth. But 
right now for the time being. But well, I mean, somebody they, was not happy with that in the background. I'll say the second best team in the East. Potentially, but not yeah. right now in this very minute. I mean, obviously, basketball, it takes a little bit to learn how to play together and for a team to gel. You've seen that. Uh, you know, our Lakers here in Los Angeles have been going through that for six seasons now. And Toronto only has one <laughs> star. All they got is Kawhi, Kyle Lowry. We've seen what he's done in the past, though. So. Yeah, well, we've seen him with yeah, DeMar DeRozan. Raptors, we haven't seen him with Kyle Lowry. Yeah, Raptors came out hot. We'll see what happens. This makes the East a lot more interesting. It does. It does. And the Timberwolves absolutely had to get rid of him. He was toxic in that situation. Now he has some image rehab. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 